Father, we just come to you this evening once again, thanking you, Lord, for the very gift of life. One more day in the land of the living. We came through the day and now in the evening hour. Oh, Father, in the ancient days, the priests gathered for the evening sacrifice. We have nothing to give you than our praise and our adoration and a listening ear, believing heart. And I pray with that we have come and we pray you would speak to us. Once again, speak to us, Lord, speak to us. Your word alone has life. Your word alone is true. Your word alone has the power to set us free. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Over the weeks, uh, we've been looking at... Uh, Various facets of salvation and the Savior. Okay, different things we've been looking at. Remember the most well-known, just quickly recapping, okay? Uh, no, I need this slide. We are looking at salvation and the Savior. The most well-known verses in the Bible, known in the church, outside the church, is definitely John 3.16. And of course, 17 people do not know, but 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay? So we are saved by him. Through him and for him. Okay? Understand. Okay? We saw salvation as a judicial act of God when God first declares a person righteous so that we should not perish, but we should have everlasting life. That's the reason why he gave his son. We saw it in terms of light and in terms of darkness. We saw it as in terms of Kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdom of men and the kingdom of Satan. We have seen salvation in terms of relationship. We also have seen salvation has a very definite beginning and also a continuation and a logical conclusion. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, scripture says, For as many as so received him, as many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. So he gives and we receive. God gave his son and those who received that gift of God's own son, to them he gave them the right to become the children of God. Okay, that's the beginning of salvation. And the end of salvation, if we cooperate with the son, Hebrews 7.25 says, therefore he is also able to save to the Uttermost. Okay, so there is, there is an end to it. Meaning, there is so much left to salvation in all our lives. He can save us to the uttermost, those who come to God through Him. Since He always lives to make intercession for us. So Jesus is still the high priest. He's still interceding for us. But His intercessory prayer is always to save us from ourselves. Okay. So we need to understand how he prays as opposed to how we pray. So last Sunday we saw, sorry, Wednesday we saw sonship is a gift. 
Friendship is not. Friendship has to be earned. Sonship is a gift. Friendship has to be earned. And few of the most important things for a son to become a friend of God is trust, is loyalty, and is faithfulness. For Abraham to become a friend of God, God should be able to trust Abraham. In Genesis 18 and verse 19, God says this about Abraham. For I have known him. Yes, I know him. I know him. In order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. He says, you know what? I trust this dude. I know he will command his children to follow the way, to keep the way of the Lord. But you need to realize, the Abraham as a father can only command. He will do his part. Abraham has eight sons. But only one was obedient. Okay? Understand that. But Abraham did his part. God says, I can trust him to carry out my instructions. Okay? That's all we are called to do. Carry out his instructions. My job is to preach what he tells me. I cannot make you do it. Cannot make you. Abraham was loyal, faithful, trustworthy. Okay? So you need to realize, for because we have, I put this over here because, it, don't go to the next one immediately until I tell you. Abraham is the son who became a father, a friend. And God said I could trust him. Okay? We heard last Sunday from Pastor Vijay. I hope you heard. You heard? Okay. And just, just one of the parts in, because I don't want confusion because people run away with things. Because I thought so many calls I got this last two days was connected with a part of his message. Okay, I realized why all these calls suddenly? Then I realized, okay, it's got to do with that message because we are very emotional believers. We react in emotions and then after one week we forget the message so we forget to call. Okay, so he talked about uh, submission, okay? Now let me tell you this very clearly, okay? Submission is a kingdom term. It's not a world term, though it's used in the world. So you need to know what it means in the kingdom and what it does not mean in the world. There are three terms, primarily, okay? Three terms, I'm teaching a little English, okay? Language. One is called servile. Servility. The other is called submission. And the third is called rebellion. Three categories of people. Those who are servile, who are very slavish, excessively willing to please others. And they think they are submissive, but they are not. They are just servile. Then there are the rebellious. These are the rebellious does not mean that person is inherently a bad person, okay? But the rebellious person are those who actually please themselves, whether they do good or whether they do bad. When they do good, they will only do it when they feel like doing good. And it should please them. Okay. They don't do good and they don't feel like doing good. 
Okay, rebellious person is ultimately pleasing himself. The servile person is so slavish, he always is trying to please others. Then like I said, submission is a very biblical term. It's not weak. That's not the message. I'm just trying to clarify certain things, okay? So that you don't mistake something which is not true. It is not weakness. It is strength. Only the strong can submit. The weak can't. The weak are either servile or they are rebellious. The weak are servile. The worldly strong are rebellious. The spiritually strong are submissive. Because submission begins with God. Begins with God. Okay. Let's for a minute, we cannot do that practically, but let's for a minute in our mind keep the kingdom of God aside. Okay, the kingdom of God aside. Forget the kingdom of God for a minute. If the kingdom of God is not there, then the most powerful entity you have is Satan. The kingdom of darkness. And his principalities and his rulers and powers and billions probably of fallen angels and demonic entities. Unbelievably powerful if you keep the kingdom of God aside. Nothing can man do against them without the power of God. Nothing. I have given you examples that you take one demon and blast a nuclear bomb. It means nothing to him. It cannot even scratch him. Okay? So that's how powerful he is outside the kingdom. Yet scripture defines the strength of submission like this. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, scripture says, Submit to God and you can even resist the devil. If you submit to God, you have unbelievable strength that even the devil can be resisted. And he will flee from you. So understand the power of submission. Okay? So only strong men and strong women can submit to God. The weak cannot. The weak are rebellious. Or the weak are servile. So understand. In Ephesians 5 and verse 22. Wives submit your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay. So if you don't submit your wife. Don't the husband husband. Don't think you are strong. You are not. You are weak. You are actually weak. Because only the strong, spiritually strong can submit. I will tell you why. Because God talks about an example and he gives an incredible example. We have read it many times in First Peter chapter 3 verse 4 and 5. Rather let it not be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner... In former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Can I have the next verses too? Okay. They were adorned. Look at this word, okay. They adorned. Adorned is the word that, which is only used in the Bible with women. A man doesn't adorn himself. Okay? He makes a statement when he dresses. Okay. Women adorn themselves. He says, adorn yourself. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, are not afraid with any terror. You know what he's talking about? If you look at the context through her life, I will tell you, explain. Abraham was a husband in the beginning. He was very fearful. It's a fearful husband. So when he went into Egypt, 
He was so fearful, he put his wife's life on the line and said, say, you are my sister. But Sarah submitted to God and therefore she submitted to her husband and was not fearful. She was not afraid of what the Pharaoh could do to her. She was not afraid. She's not afraid. Like I'm telling you, a submissive woman is an incredibly strong woman because she has known God and the strength of God and she does not fear the devil or she does not fear what the devil can do to her. And God rescues her. Okay? So when the Bible is talking about submission, it is not talking about weakness. It is talking about unbelievable power of God is released to face powers of darkness and the troubles you face only through submission. So submission in the Bible is not a statement of weakness. It's a statement of strength. Because you need to understand everything you hear in the context of God's word. Why? Why is this so important? Because only the strong can lead, lead in the Bible, in the kingdom of God. A man who does not submit to God, God will never accept him as a leader. Never accept him as a leader. A woman who does not submit to her husband as unto the Lord, God will never accept her, her work. Never will accept her work. Because what is strength in the world is actually the rebellious spirit. That is the, it is, it is exalted in movies and novels and stories. It is the spirit of Cain. The same spirit seen in Ishmael, in Esau, in Saul. But ultimately you will see all these people who are glorified in secular world are destroyed. So whenever you look at terms in the Bible, read it with the eyes of the word and not the world. Because understand what it means to what it means to lead. In 1 Corinthians 11, 3, we looked and we know that. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every man is Christ. If my head is not Christ, I cannot lead him. I cannot lead. The head of every woman is man. A man cannot lead a woman if he doesn't come under the headship of Christ because a woman is not called to lead. The man is called to lead. But men are not able to lead today and it's being led by women around the world. Structure is changing. is because, not because God's order changed, it's because men came out from the headship of Christ. So you see the mayhem that is, because submission actually means to come under your head. That's what it means. Okay, understand what, you have to read Bible in the context of the Bible in the kingdom of God. Don't bring worldly understanding into it. We will never understand what God is trying to say. Ephesians 5.25, this is talking to the husbands. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What does scripture say? Scripture says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved. How did Christ love? Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Adam was a weak husband, so what did he do? He did not die for Eve, he died with Eve in her sin. 
Jesus, the second Adam, does not die with his sinful church. He dies for his sinful church. Please understand the difference. Question is, are you dying with or are you dying for? An unspiritual wife will always pull the husband to die with her. A spiritual husband will resist it and says, I will die for you, but I will not die with you. I will not die with you. This is the constant thing in relationship that happens to die with or die for. Abraham died with his father for a season in Haran. Therefore, he could not move until his father died. He was not asked to die for his father, die with his father. Relationship. The sons of Korah did not die with their father. They died outside. But the call of relationship is always die with me, die with me, die with me, die with me. And you need to realize if you die with sin, you will also die. Jesus did not die with the church. He died for the church. The book of Acts, Ananias comes. He lies. He dies. Little little later, Sapphira comes. And Peter asks, Is this the price you got for the land? She said, yes. See, both of them died together in sin. Okay. Scripture says, Love never fails. Yet what we see everywhere around is love failing. The reason the love fails is because the love that does not fail is the love of God. Ephesians 4.15 says this way. But speaking the truth in love. What makes a love not fail is only if it is mixed with truth. Because today we are looking at truth. God has truth. Truth is a vital ingredient. When you add lie to your love, the love will always fail. The only love that will never fail is that love that is mixed with truth. And our major issue in life is with truth. In John chapter 14, another one of those definitive statements made by Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus says this, this is what got him into trouble actually, and all his disciples for the past 2,000 years. People who are dying left and right for Christ are not dying because of any other reason, because of this one particular statement he made. You take this statement out, many Christians will look. When Jesus is saying, I am the way, he is not negating the existence of other ways. No, he acknowledges there are other ways. But when he is talking about I am the way, it is connected with a destination. He says, you want to come to the Father? God? Eternity with God in heaven? There's only one way. And I am the way. I am the way that leads to eternal life, to God the Father. He actually talks about other ways. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is, there is broad way. 
God is the way. That leads to destruction. And he says there are many who go in by it. Many, even in Christendom. Many, many, many are going by the broad way. That's also a way. It's very broad. It's very broad. Then he says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. So Jesus is the way and that way is very difficult. But it is the way that leads to life and he says there are few who find it. Who will find it? He says that's the way to life. I am the way, the truth and the life. Difficult is the way which leads to life and there are very few who will find it. So when he says this, like I was Pastor Vijay and I, we were talking and we talk every day. So we are talking like, he and I are like postmen. Our job is to deliver the letter. When we are delivering the letter, my job is not to steam it, open it, read the letter, write it, like it, change the letter, seal it and give it to you. No, the message is not mine. The delivery is mine. I cannot make the way that is difficult easy for you. Because it's not my message. I am the delivery boy. If you don't like the message, ask him. Don't kill the postman. Okay? He said this. It's very difficult. Very few will find it. Why is it so? Why is that the way that leads to life, eternal life? Very few will find it. So the question we need to ask ourselves constantly, am I in the way, in that narrow way? Or am I in the broad way? Or was I in the way? Did I step out and I'm back in the broad way? Or I am come back to that way? It's the way to life, eternal life. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus describes what this is. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He said, this is eternal life. How do I know I am in the way? Because you get to know Jesus and you get to know God through Jesus and you get to know him better and better and better. To know God is eternal life. So Jesus says in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And our major issue is this. In the middle, he says, I am the truth. Jesus does not say, I will show you the truth. If he said, I will show you the truth, I have a relative freedom to accept or reject it. But what he says is actually very scary. He says, I am the truth. It's a very scary statement. It's a very, very scary statement because if he is the truth and his life is not my life, then my life is a lie. That's why it's scary. He doesn't say, I will show you the truth. Then I have the option to pick and choose and adjust. But that's not what he's saying. He says, I am the truth. So if he is the truth, then his life is not my life. Then my life is a lie. That's why Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you are of your father, the devil, who is a liar. His life is running in you. My life is running in my children. So you have to look in terms, now today, life in terms of lie and truth. Because truth is a person. You see, when God made man in his image, we know that from Genesis. 
one of the images that was imprinted in us is the image of God as truth. God is truth. And that image is there. Every man. We were all, we use the modern term, we were all wired in such a way. Such a way. No one can live without truth. It's impossible. So what we do is, because we cannot live without truth, because we were made in, image, in God's image and God is truth, what we do is, we create our own truth. Which is not the truth. Though it may look like the truth, until we are confronted by the truth. Jesus himself. That's what you see with Nicodemus. He was absolutely comfortable with his truth until he encountered Jesus. When he encountered Jesus, he questions everything about his life. And he comes in the night to talk to Jesus. That's what happened to Paul. Apostle Paul says, according to the law, blameless. I was absolutely comfy with the law and with my life until I encountered him on the road to Damascus, the man, Jesus Christ. And then he says, life changed. What I tell people everywhere is that all of you who are satisfied with your life have not met Jesus. Because everyone who meets Jesus is forever satisfied, unsatisfied with his life. Because you realize there is more to life. Because you have met life itself. That's why he says it will create a hunger and a thirst in you for righteousness. You realize this is it. This is where I am. This is where he is. I am never satisfied. I need more of you. Let me ask you this question from the wisest men who lived. Why did Solomon, the wisest king, react like this? In the book of Ecclesiastes, one of his last books, final days, he wrote like this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Okay? That's why we carry our vanity bag. All is vanity. And everything inside that is also vanity. New English, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Why did this man who had unbelievable power, riches and wisdom, who pursued everything that could be pursued under the sun and got it, is talking about life as meaningless. Other kings never said that. Why he... Because once in his life, he had tasted Jesus. He had tasted Jesus. That's why he says. Ahab didn't say. Saul didn't say. Solomon said. Therefore, at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1, he tells all you young ones over there, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. He is telling young people, please, he says, when you are young, your minds are fresh, your bodies are strong, your emotions have not been framed and your mind has not been Please serve your creator. If you find him when you are young, you will be always satisfied with him all your life. You find him and lose him. You don't, you find him when you are older. You will always struggle with life because you tasted the falseness of this world. Serve him before difficult days come and the years grow when you say, I have no pleasure in them. 
In verse 8 of the final chapter, he says, vanity, vanity, all, says the preacher, all is vanity. And his final words to humanity is verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. What a sad ending to the, the greatest man he could have become in human history. Because he had everything and he blew up everything because you know what? Life is not anything under the sun. Life is found in the sun. Is found in the sun. So our life, our minds are programmed that way. We need truth. And Jesus comes and says, I am the truth. We wish, uh, uh, Pastor, give me a book of truth. I says, I cannot give it to you. I can give you the word, which is truth, but more than that, there is his person called the truth. In John 17 and verse 17, God says, sanctify them. Sanctify the meaning, set apart. Set apart them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. The question is, can you be set apart by the truth? Can you? Can you be set apart by this? If you read this, will you believe this? If you believe this, will you act on it? Let's look how truth works. Okay, Hebrews 11 verse 3 and Genesis 1 1. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made by things which are visible. By faith. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. The word of God is the truth. Genesis 1 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible begins. And that is the truth. Question is, suddenly humanity is divided into two groups. Those believe that God created and those who believe we evolved. What do you believe? There are millions of creation. Uh, Christian, so don't believe in creation. You see, the first line of the Bible itself divides humanity, because that's the truth. That's what truth does. Then a little down after creating everything, right? I'm not getting into that part, because that will take all the time. He says, he created the male and female. So we have that's the end to the gender confusion in your head. He created male and female. Pastor Vijay explained in terms of chromosome on Sunday. That's the only, you don't, I don't care what you think you are. Your chromosome will define who you are. And that's the only two. There is a third chromosome? No. Two genders. Then he sets the rules in Genesis 2 and verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall die. So he sets the rules. Let's not look in terms of the knowledge. He sets the rules. He's the creator. I am the creation. He tells me who I am. He tells you who you are. And he sets the rules. You can do this. You cannot do this. Will you accept it? Or are you an autonomous, autonomous creature? A king in your own eyes. Can you accept the Bible as truth? Can you accept Jesus as the truth? Verse 18. And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a... Can you accept that? That woman was made to be a helpmate and not the mate. Can you accept it? Abigail is saying she can't accept it. 
Can you accept it? Sister sitting over here, can you accept? I am only a helpmate. I am not the mate. He is mate. I am helpmate. If I try to be the mate, then it is checkmate. <laughs> can you accept it? Meaning, I was not called to lead. I was called to follow. That's what it means. But this is the age of Me Too movements. When Hillary loses, men need safe spaces to cry. Only those who read news understand what I'm talking about. The problem is, see, Pilate asked this question, what is truth? And the real question is not, you shouldn't ask. I ask is not what is truth. The real question I ask is, can you handle truth? It's not what is truth. Can you handle truth? It's not about what is truth. God says, if I show you the truth, can you handle it? The answer is, none of us can handle truth. Without the grace of God, I cannot handle truth. It would drive me mad. It would kill me. That's why John 1 and verse 17 says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Without grace, truth will drive me mad. Because the demands of truth are such, you have to die to keep it. And I don't have the power to die. Only grace gives me the power to die. I need grace to hear. I need grace to understand. I need grace to accept. I need grace to believe. I need grace to obey. That is why man will be saved from the beginning till the end by grace and grace alone because of truth. That's why Jesus said the way is narrow and it's very difficult. Very few will find it because of truth sitting in the middle. Then the liar comes. You know the liar. And what he does is he twists truth. He doesn't speak an outright lie, the devil. He twists truth a little. And the fall begins. They swallow it, they fall. And then in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, as soon as they fall, scripture says, yeah. Then the eyes of both of them, they were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You have this term all around universities around the world floating around for so many years and our university kids will know that. It is called, what is it called? Relative truth. It's called relative truth. They are living a lie, but they cannot live without truth. Earlier, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. Now they are naked, and they are ashamed. And they are covering themselves. Suddenly, I am okay. You are okay. We look cool. Look at Genesis 2 and verse 25. They were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is before the fall. Okay? Before the fall... They were naked. Meaning in your relationship, when there is nothing hidden, 
Nothing hidden. Your relationship is absolutely open before God. You're not ashamed. When your relationship in your life, there is nothing hidden from your spouse. You're not ashamed. They had a life that was walking in truth, walking in the light, and they were not ashamed standing with God or standing with each other. Now they have fallen. Immediately they are sewing a costume. Okay? That's what we call relative truth. You need truth, your own truth, version of truth to cover your nakedness. So God steps into the picture in verse 8. Verse 8 says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God and walking in, walking, Lord walking in the garden, the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. It's very interesting, right? As long as Christ, the truth, does not step into the picture, they are fine. They're fine with their coverings. Adam says, hey, you actually look cool. I didn't know that green suited you so well. But when God steps in, they are hiding from him. Though they are covered. They are covered. But their covering does not cover them from God. My relative truth will not cover me from the absolute truth. So what shall we do with him? Get rid of him. Crucify him. Why is so much anger directed against him and his word? Because this word reveals your nakedness and my nakedness. But I don't want to be covered by him. So what do I do? I get rid of him. I get rid of his word. Then I'm looking good in my fig leaves. I'm so cool. I'm so good. That's why we want him him out of the public arena. Especially in Christian nations. Nothing about Christ. Nothing about Christ. And they call it, they are progressives. They are regressives, not progressive. Because progression in salvation is progression in truth. And the problem is, we don't like the truth about ourselves. Because our nakedness will be exposed. So when God steps in, Adam and Eve, run. That's what happens in the church. As long as you keep people happy in their fig clothes, I am okay, you are okay, we are all okay, kumbaya, Lord, kumbaya. No problem. But if you speak the word, the truth, people start running. Start running. In verses 9 and 10, the scripture says, Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Hey dude, where are you? Why are you hiding? He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. Wait a second. You are not naked. You are covered. Didn't you cover yourself? Didn't you cover yourself? Didn't you make garments for yourself and cover? Who told you you are covered, you are naked? Earlier when they were naked before the fall and they walked with God, they felt covered. Now that they are covered, 
they feel naked in God's presence. Adam's what we call fig leaf Armani suit and Eve's two-piece fig leaf costume. It is their truth as opposed to the truth. Their truth can enable them only to live with each other. That is compromise. It will not enable man to live with God. Our truth, my truth, can enable me to live with my wife if we can agree on our truth. It's not enable you to live with God. You see, it is okay when it is two people. But what happens when it is four? What happens when it is ten? What happens when it is a million? What happens when it is a billion? So what do we do? We create social structures based on ideology or religion, which is each one's version of truth. And we call ourselves, I am Muslim, I am Hindu, I am communist. Basically what? Our own version of fig leaf and all those who are wearing that same colored leaf gather together and form a society. But that's not the truth. And among this, all these groups, there are only two groups which are actively targeted, which is the active believing Muslim and the active believing Christian. Why? Because these are the only two proselytizing religions which converts others. Others will leave. The Jew doesn't want anybody to become a Jew. Go, heaven is my alone. Okay? The Hindu is chalega. We are like an ocean into which all the rivers flow. The communist will say, you want to join us? First you have to deny there is no God. So each one creates their own version of fig leaves and forms a society. That is the version of truth. Because I told you, you cannot live without truth. That's how we are wired. But Jesus is not a social group. Truth is not a, which can be negotiated with. Jesus says, I am the truth. So in verse 11, Jesus asks an interesting question. Did I give it to you, verse 11? Genesis 2 and verse 11. He asked a question. Hey Abraham, uh, sorry Adam, who told you you were naked? Isn't that verse 11? He t- who told you you were naked? Who told you? Who told you you were naked? Before I came, did anybody tell you you were naked? Did the puppy say you were naked? Did the monkey say you were naked? Puppy shame. Shame shame. Puppy shame. All the monkeys. No, did the puppy say you were naked? No lord. Did the monkey say you were naked? No. So who told you were naked? Told you. Unless we encounter Jesus Christ, we will never know our nakedness. Never know who you are. Everybody else told you you were covered. But when you encounter the living God, your own conscience will tell you, you are naked. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 and 13, this is what scripture says. The word of God is living. 
is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, and of joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked. All things are naked, and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's why people run from the living word. Because the living word exposes who we are. Who told you you were covered? Who told you you were naked? Who told you? Do you know how he sends Adam and Eve out of the garden in Genesis 3 and verse 21? This is, for Adam and his wives, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Something that God is showing them, right? It's just one line, but something is happening over there. He says, you know, to cover your nakedness, because you are naked because you believed a lie. You have to cover your nakedness. It has to come. Truth has to come. And truth will lead you to life. Something has to die to cover you. We think it was some tunic. It was not. I believe that it was a freshly killed two lambs and they were covered and blood was dripping down their body. God says, this is what you need to know. All of humanity. This is what will cost God to cover your nakedness. This is what will cause God to cover your nakedness. Now read 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light and in him no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Then, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. and The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Very, very powerful lines. Unless God covers us, we'll always be naked. But unless we uncover our nakedness, he cannot cover us. If you confess, when I confess, I'm uncovering my nakedness before him. He says, if you confess, he is faithful. And the blood of Jesus starts the covering work. So first he uncovers Adam and Eve. He's not putting the the garment of skin over the garment of fig leaves. No, he's not. That's what we want to do. God says, no. First, you have to be uncovered before you can be covered. So verse 11 says, who told you? Who told you? He asked this question, right? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you should not eat? Today's version, modern day version, we have to always try to understand in our time. Did you do what I told you not to do? If you look at a tree, it will look 6,000 years ago. That's not what God is saying here. He's saying, did you do today what I told you not to do? The other side, the flip 
side of the coin is this. If I do not know what God has told, then I can walk comfortably in my nakedness. Right? If I do not know what God demands from me, what am I? I'm ignorant. When I'm ignorant, I'm walking in my nakedness. And the problem is, I'm absolutely comfortable in my sin and in my nakedness. Remember the story of the emperor's new clothes? What he does, what you don't know, doesn't hurt now. It will hurt in eternity. When you stand before truth. So one little boy spoke the truth and he said, I hear Raja Nanga hai. So a Ten thousand voices saying, you are great, you are looking so handsome, your clothes are fantastic, had no power to stand before the truth spoken through the mouth of a little boy. Because that was the truth. That's what God is talking about. You can walk in your nakedness, comfortable in your nakedness, as long as you are ignorant of the truth. But that doesn't save you in eternity. That doesn't save you in eternity. So understand that. I cannot live on the truth which I understood and experienced 30 years ago. I have to keep on progressing in the truth. Otherwise, I am walking in my nakedness. We were discussing this today morning, yesterday morning. Let's explain it this way. Pastor Vijay is driving ahead of me. He's driving at 40. I'm driving at 40. There's a gap of 500 meters between us. He speeds to 60. I speed to 60. The gap between us is still 500. He speeds to 80. I speed to 80. What is the gap? 500. So because the gap between the two of us is only 500, I'm comfortable. Now turn it around. Pastor Vijay is the world and I'm the believer. He's at 40. I'm at 40. The gap is fine. He moves to 50. I move to 50. In which direction? Which direction? He moves to 60. I move to 60. In which direction? But I'm feeling comfortable because the gap between us is only 500 meters. There's still a gap. What we don't realize is there is a gap of 500 meters but the scenery is changing. Scenery is changing. My eye is not on Jesus. I wouldn't know how much far I have gone away from the world. Let me explain to you because of my young children sitting over here. My heart is always for the little ones sitting over here. See, we both, before we were saved, were movie buffs. Okay, so... Forgive us when he give you illustrations, but I am wiser than him. I will never give you the titles of the movies, okay? <laughs> See, the old cowboy movies, okay? The western, they call Bang Bang. I always used to like it because I started reading them as a child. So I always liked the westerns. In every typical, what do you call pulp western novel. You will have these cowboys, they get a break once a month and they have been working like crazy. It's a back-breaking work. They come and as soon as they come to the little shanty town, they shoot their guns over there. Then they enter into the bar. Okay? That's the first place they go to wash the dust away. That's how they say it. Okay? The dust away. The western town movies are all similar with a plot little here and there. 
In every town there are two kinds of women. One are the women all well dressed going to church and the other are the women in the bar. In the bar. As soon as these fellows come over there and say, give me a drink, give me a drink, few of them will detach themselves and say, honey, will you buy me a drink? That's how the story proceeds. Now the question is not about that. If you look in all these movies of 40 years ago, all these girls, don't want to use the actual term you should address them with, were dressed alike. 40 years later, the Christian women in the church are dressed like them. Who moved? Who moved? Who moved? 40 years ago, you looked at a woman in a particular place and said she's a slut. Today, they dress like one and sit in churches. Who moved? Who moved? Should ask questions. Because God is a constant. He does not change. His truth is forever the same. What is true once is always true. Always true. So if your pedal feet is at 40 and the word speeds up, don't put your feet on the pedal. Fashion can change. That's okay. But modesty is a constant. Because it is part of the truth. It's a constant. It's a part of the truth. And if you're not modest, you do not know him. You're fooling yourself. KGB uses a term, it's a, it's a term lost in English. I wish it was found again. Lost and found. In like manner also, women adorn. Remember earlier in First Peter, you adorn yourself inside with a meek and a submissive spirit. And you adorn yourself outside in what? Modest apparel with shame-facedness. should have a sense of what is shameful when you go out. Shame, it's an interesting word, and it's been lost. These are words we should not be lost. And sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly other, which, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So you should be very careful how your inside is. You should be very careful how you cover yourself. You should be very careful about how you do your things. The Bible never talks about these things about men because... Men usually are not very careful about their dressing. But women are. Women are. And women are so this thing about their outside. And men are so visible creatures. So the address is always woman. Cover, 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 cover. The question is, men dress, women adorn. Are you adorned by the truth? So the question is not what is the truth. The question is can you handle the truth? Because if I do not know, I just gave you one example connected one small part of life. You can take that and apply truth to every part of your life. Because the Holy Spirit when he comes will lead you to the truth. And that truth sets you free. This is the truth. If you dress as the Holy Spirit tells you, you can be comfortable in India, you can be comfortable in Washington DC, you can be comfortable in Dubai, you can be comfortable in Jeddah, you can be comfortable in Beijing, you can be comfortable anywhere. Because that's the nature of truth. Truth is true everywhere. But if you keep on changing, 
You dress one way to church on a Sunday. Monday you are dressed in another way to your office. It's because you are denying the truth. I'm not saying you shouldn't be fashionable. Don't dress like the Victorian ladies. We don't know. We don't want that. We are not talking about that. Be fashionable. But never ever lose truth. Truth. Concerning you. Concerning us. Never. Never lose it. Because if you lose it, you are on the road down. Fast. Because if I do not know what God has told, I can walk in my ignorance. Ignorance ignorance doesn't save you. If you are coming to Jeevan Jyoti for the first time, it is written, where is the church? Jeevan Jyoti, Chikoti Gardens. And you come over there and the signboard is there big. Jeevan Jyoti. There are signboards. There are signboards. Eternal signboards. The problem is naked people cannot enter. Spiritual signboard in heaven. Revelation 22 verse 14 and 15. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. They may enter through the gates in the city. Right to the tree of life. Why? Because they were contending and appropriating truth all their life. And even when you go to heaven, truth is not finished with you. You are still growing in truth. As you grow to truth, you have access to life. Truth, more life. Truth, more life. But outside, the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. You may not be anything in this, but you loved a lie about something that was important to God. So you created your own truth about it, which was a lie, and lived it. That's why as Jesus said, the way is very, very difficult. Very few will find it. Revelation 21, verse 8, scripture says, The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, leave all that aside, and all liars. And the cowardly. You are a coward, he says. You did not have the courage to stand for me in your workplace, in your college. You looked at everybody and says, everybody is going in the world. Everybody is dressed like this. Everybody drinks this. Everybody talks this language. He says, you are a coward. You did not have the backbone to stand up for the truth without realizing, I am the truth. Daniel could stand up in Babylon. Joseph could stand up in Egypt. Why can't you stand up? Didn't I give you grace to stand up? He said, you are a coward. And he says, cowards don't enter. Because submission is a sign of strength. It's not the sign of the coward. Because the spirit of God is the spirit of power. To face anything. There are no cowards in God's kingdom. The fearless people in the God's kingdom who withstood kings and chose to lose their head than compromise on what they knew was true. So question God asks, are you fearful? Why are you fearful? See, if I don't know what his truth is and what God has said, you see, it doesn't matter what I feel about myself or what others feel about me. The only thing that matters is what God says. Unless he covers. That's why in Hosea 4, 6, scripture says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ignorance is a killer in the kingdom of God. More than in the world. Ignorance is the biggest killer in the kingdom of God. My people. 
In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief does not come except the devil to steal, to kill and to destroy. How does he kill and destroy? By stealing knowledge. Keeping you away from the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his eternal kingdom. Because this world is passing away. How does he do that? He does it by injecting his lie into our lives. We receive it. We make it our truth and we live by it. So Adam has, even Adam received the lie. Now they are framed by the lie. But the lie, they have changed it because you cannot, nobody ever sells a product with a lie. Never. You always mix it nicely with truth and sell it. Ice green costume. So they have their truth now by which they are living. Adam has his truth. Eve has her truth which is different from Adam's because truth is relative, right? It's not your relative, it is relative. You relate it to your circumstances. Truth is an absolute. Jesus said, I am the truth, God is the truth, his word is the truth, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. It's an absolute. But when you take your eyes from the absolute, you relate it to your world and your circumstances and say, this is my truth and I'm comfortable with it. So God asks the question, did you do what I told you not to do? Did you eat I told you not to eat? In Genesis 3 and verse 12, he says, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the tree from the tree and I ate. That's his truth. He sinned, but he's comfortable. Why? She's to blame. She's to blame. That's his truth. Two, the two kids sitting there, caught with a hand in the cookie jar, and you're asking the small one, did you take? And he's got crumbs all over in his mouth. What he's saying is true. I did not take, she gave it to me. What she, he says, the woman whom you gave with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. What he's saying is absolutely the fact corroborated by scripture. Because John uh, Genesis 3 and verse 6 says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. The tree disabled to make one wife. She took off its fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her husband with her and he gave. So what he is stating is the fact. But facts and truth are not the same. Did you eat? The woman you made, fact, you made the woman. I did not make the woman. That's a fact. She ate, took and gave it to me. I took, she gave, I ate. That's how people answer. That's how people answer. See, you ask her, you, what about you Eve? Genesis 3.13. The Lord said to the woman, what is that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Absolutely the fact. Corroborated by scripture. Timothy, chapter 2, verse 50 and 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. So many wants to be teachers. Did you hear this? Will you accept it? No, Joyce Mary, I'm not talking about Joyce Mary, I'm talking about the word of God. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man to be silenced. Why? If a woman has authority over a man, God's order changes, the woman starts leading the man. And God says, I don't accept it. Because Christ is a man. 
The church is a woman. I cannot change divine order. If a woman can lead a man, then the church can lead Christ. Because what is true, is true always. Implications are there. I always tell pastors, once long ago when I was in another church, the pastor said, shall we order lunch for everybody? I said, pastor, listen to this. Right now we have 25 people. It's fine. But you are expecting the church to grow, right? What if you have 500 people? You want to feed them all? Don't start something which you can't finish. Precedence. The woman can lead man. Then why can't the church lead Christ? Because the church is a woman. Christ is a man. Understand implications of what you believe. Because what is true now is always true. So scripture will say, and you don't have to go there, Revelation 40, there stood the Lamb, and 14,000 with Him, and they followed the Lamb wherever He went. It doesn't say the Lamb followed the bride wherever she went. Because what is true in Genesis is true in Revelation 2. Can you handle the truth? Then, for Adam was formed first, and Eve after. Adam was formed? And Eve after. Adam was not deceived. The woman being deceived fell into transgression. So who was deceived? Woman. Who deceived her? Satan. So what did Eve say? The serpent deceived me. Is your statement before God factually right? Yes, it is right. Just because you're factually right doesn't mean you are true. Verse 15. Nevertheless, she'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. Meaning, woman, your salvation lies in your home. Lies in your home. That's where your salvation lies. Let's leave aside. You see, the word of God is a myth buster. It breaks so many myths. What they both saw as a fact is not truth in God's eyes. Man, were you deceived? Adam, were you deceived? No. Did you know my instructions? Yes. Did you follow the instructions? No. That's the truth. Eve, are you mate or helpmate? Uh, I am helpmate. Whose voice did you listen to? This one. Did you check with your husband? No. So what does it say? You took and you gave it him. You changed your position from helpmate to mate. You led him. Did I tell you, tell you to lead him? See, our facts will not stand the scrutiny of God's truth. That's why people run from the word. But my salvation and your salvation lies in not running from the word, but by running to the word. That's where true liberty lies. Adam, you knew. So verdict is guilty. Eve, you didn't ask. And you led. Guilty. See, we have to transpose this all into our own days. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Why did you lose your job? Why did you leave your job? 
Oh, my boss sucks. This is what I'm saying has got nothing to do with the world. I speak only to believers. I never speak to the world. I don't evangelize. I only speak to the believers. Why did you quit your job? They never pay me enough for the hours I put in. Really? Child, are you a child of God? Uh, Yes. Do you go by this book? Yes. What does the book say? Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in sincerity of the heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Who was your boss? You, you, by the way, excuse me, Raj, I'm using Raj as an example. You said your boss sucks. Who's your boss? You mean to say, I, your boss sucks? I thought I was your boss. Did Joseph in Potiphar's palace say Potiphar sucks? No, he looked at the way this young boy was working his guts out and says, boy, his God is with him. And if you ask Joseph, you are a slave, you don't even get a salary. Why are you working like that? He says, you have no clue who my boss is. I'm not doing eye service over here. I love my boss. I love serving him. Verse 24. Of his own. The next verse, yeah. Of his Knowing that from the Lord you will... So where does your promotion come from? Right? Where does your promotion come from? Where did Joseph's promotion come from? Why is that God is not able to promote his people? People in the world get promoted because all you have to do is meet the requirements of your company. But the people of God, he promotes you. Even if your manager wants to promote you, he pushes you down. He says, stay out of that one. This one, appraisal, good, 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 good. He wants to give you a good God, changes his hand and says, no. He has no clue what's happening. God says, he's got a plan, which is eternity. The rest are here. Doesn't matter. You give their appraisal. This fellow's appraisal, I gave. And your hand will move as I say. We don't realize who our boss is. So people say, nobody can live like that. That's your problem. That's your truth. That's your truth. That's why people like Daniel and Joseph are all put over there who did not have the spirit inside them, who did not have a church, who did not have a worship team, who did not have a pastor to teach them, who did not have parents to bring them coffee and chai, nothing. He says, you know how they stood? Because they knew the truth and they stood. Are you getting it, children? Are you getting scared? Don't get scared. I'll tell you why this is so important. Because you and I have to see Jesus as truth. God as truth. Because my salvation itself is because an encounter with truth. In James chapter 1 verse 18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's how I was born again. You are born again. When you hit the road block and you met Jesus, you realized how dark you were and how he was light. You looked at yourself and you looked at him and you said, no hope. And he said, there is hope. Let's have a transfer here. You believe I will exchange my life for yours. Lord, one day, he said, no, all the days of your life, it will be an exchange of my life for yours. You began in truth. You can only progress in truth. And you can only end in truth. 
You know what scripture says? I set you before life and death. Blessing and curses, you choose. Let me tell you what this actually means today. Every choice you make, I make, is actually a judgment. You have set of choices before you. Uh, Answer to this question, A, B, C. You look at the question, you have three options, you have to make a judgment. And we don't realize our life in each day is full of judgments. We are judging and making a decision. Right? To make a right judgment in life, you need more than information. In your process, all you need is information. Life, information is not enough. You need truth to make the right judgment. I know you guys don't watch, you don't understand, but the, I, I, I'm, I like, I don't, I, I don't say I like, I get intrigued by the experiment of democracy in US, unlike any other nation. US democracy is different from every democracy. Like I said, India and other countries, justices are appointed and different. US, no. Appointed by the president has to be ratified by the Senate. And you have to hear the Senate hearing. I watch Justice Kovanov is going to be probably, I don't know, next just Supreme Court Justice. When you are a Supreme Court Justice in US, you are appointed for life. Meaning either you say I had enough or you die. Till then you are a Supreme Court Justice. Okay, that's how it is in US. So he has to go through two Senate hearings. First the select committee with 13 people and then the 100. Boy, everything in his life will be brought out to see whether he is qualified to sit on the bench. Because he is going to make judgments which will affect 300 million people. So we have to know this man is righteous and absolutely righteous and will stick to the letter of the law. Everything was moving on. Two days back, one lady came out of the blue 36 years ago, she said, when he was 17 and I was 15, we were all in a house and he tried to molest me. So the whole thing is processed, stopped. Because we have to find out what is true. Can you imagine for a justice in a human court, something that nobody knows even whether it is true or false from 36 years back when you are 17 years old can roadblock your entire process. How much more about us when God says you were selected and chosen to judge the angels? What's the demand of righteousness in our lives? Are we getting it? Because we don't know what salvation is. We are thinking when I die I will go to heaven. God says no. That's not salvation. That's the effect of salvation. Salvation is much, much bigger than that. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? Do you know the scepter of the kingdom is righteousness? So you and I have to make judgments every day. And to make a judgment, you and I need truth. The problem is, when you are making judgments outside of truth, truth never changes. From generation to generation. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. Meaning Abraham will go. His generation will go. Isaac will go. His generation. Jacob will go. Israel will go. Moses will go. But the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. Is all from generation to generation. I am God. He never changes. So the truth never changes. That is why one of the first calls of salvation is. Come out of this evil age 
And even this evil generation. Because unless you come out, you cannot make judgments in life. Because you will look at this age, you will look at this world and make your judgments which will affect your eternity. Affect your eternity. So if my judgment is wrong, what is denied is justice and righteousness. Fairness. Everything is affected. See, in every decision God makes, He needs to be just. Isn't that what we learned from Romans 2? By punishing man's sin upon Jesus and taking his righteousness and putting upon man, God was both the just and the justifier. Wow. And as born of God with the word of God, by the spirit of God and living by the word of God, God says your judgment should be just. Because you are in the image of your father. And when you are not, repent and keep changing. Truth cannot be two things, it can be only one. So the attack is always against truth. In Genesis 3, 1, the liar, the attacker comes and says, now the serpent was cunning and he came and said, has God indeed said? Has God said women should cover their head? Why can't it be hair has a covering? Has God said? Has God said? That's where it begins. It doesn't attack God. It attacks truth. Our return back to righteousness is not turning away from God has said, but by drawing back to what God has said. If you don't understand truth, we will never progress in life with God, relationship with God. This is powerful words. Remember, a long time ago, we looked in Isaiah 59 and verse 14. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far. Equity cannot enter. Three entities are mentioned here. Justice, righteousness, equity means fairness. That's what every child learns. As soon as he learned to talk and he's got a sibling, he will say, you are not fair. Because even they expect fairness in the decisions of the parents. You gave her two, or you gave only one. You give him three only. Fair. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far. Equity cannot enter simply because truth is fallen in the street. In the streets of the world, truth fell. And you picked your truth from the street. And what has happened? Justice has turned back. The God of justice turned his back to you. Righteousness stands far off. There is no more fairness in your life. What is God waiting for? Waiting for the truth to get up. It's gone. Unless truth starts rising up, righteousness will not be restored. Justice and equity cannot prevail. It cannot move on. And believers, not unbelievers, believers' main struggle is with truth. Unbelievers can create their own relative truth and live a lie. It will be nemesis end for them. But not for believers. It's not possible. The only way a believer can live a lie is by leaving church. And avoiding church. Or finding a church which compromises on the truth. 
Your truth is this level. So you're f- where are you going? I'm searching for a church that meets my needs. Meaning it accepts my hemline which has gone up. That's what half the people believe. Where I can wear my hemline which is up and my sleeveless and I can dance. I'm looking for a church that meets my needs. I'm not talking to women alone. I'm talking about men too, sleeveless with this thing and blonde. I, I can talk in Nepali very nicely in the mouth because they all do that and they take it from me. That's why I keep my hair gray. I said, you look like a rooster. Nepal, it's very rustic. It's a ballet. And they all laugh. I said, God made your hair black. Why is it so many colors? Why is it? And you all are up on the stage, guitaring away. Truth fell in the street, and you brought what you learned in the street onto the podium. So we know what is true. That's our struggle. In Isaiah 28, there's a powerful verses. Oh Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You scornful men who rule these people who are in Jerusalem. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the people who are in Jerusalem, his city, meaning to the believers. Because we have said, we made a covenant with death and sheol, the grave, we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge, that is when judgment passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge. And under falsehood, we have hidden ourselves. He says, do you know the reality of what you are doing? You have made refuge of lies. You have found. Okay. Falsehood have hidden ourselves and then. Go further. Therefore thus say the Lord. Behold I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. I put a stone. What does Paul say? Who is that stone? Jesus Christ. I put a stone. The problem is when you come with your lies and your falsehood and your refuge, when you come to the stone, you kick and you fall. I put a stone, it's a foundation stone for those who fall on it. And it is a stumbling stone who rejected. A stone. A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. And then... Also, I will make justice the measuring line, the plumb line. He says, you know what? I will, I will judge your life. Is it straight? Your life will be only judged according to my son's life. And the only life that is straight is my son's life. Your life? No. My son's life in you. And righteousness, the plummet. You know what the mason uses with that little thing and that thread? Finally he looks at and he says, then only he's satisfied. He says, I have a measuring line and a plummet. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, you will be trampled down by it. You know what God is talking to Israel? And to the church, you are saved by truth. You walk in truth. You end in truth. And if you don't, you take your refuge in lies and shelter under falsehood. When that day comes, when that day comes, did you understand? Jeremiah 5.1 Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See, now I know. Seek in our open places. If you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks truth, and I will pardon her. 
What is God telling to us? He's saying all around the world is looking for one pastor, one servant who will run through the church and say truth, truth, truth. And if he preaches that, I will pardon the church. I'll pardon the church. What we have today is imposters behind pulpits who have changed the truth of God into a lie to make people comfortable and not content for the truth. Truth may be fallen in the street, but truth will never die. It cannot die. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said. Not even a tittle, a dot from my word. It cannot die. But you know, truth needs a little help. You and I need help to come to the truth. In Acts 8, let me just finish. Acts 8, it's interesting. The spirit of the Lord plucks Philip in the middle of an incredible service and takes him onto the road. And there's an Ethiopian eunuch going in his chariot and he's reading scripture. And that's where we pick the narrative. The spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. It's interesting, right? Chariot is going, the spirit is picked him up, giving him strength. And he's running faster than the chariot. Now he's on pace with the chariot. Okay? And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah saying, and said, he heard him reading Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 53, okay? He's reading Isaiah 53. The sad part, Isaiah 53 tells you everything a Jewish man needs to know about Jesus Christ. But till today, the Jewish eye is blinded. He cannot see. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless somebody guides me? So truth, those who are blinded to the truth, when they are encountering truth, needs help. Only if you are searching for truth, my message will help you. Otherwise it will not. You will fight it. You will hate it. You will contend with it. Here is a man. Reading, reading. Coming back from Jerusalem. Reading. Do you understand? He says, how can I, unless someone guides me, and ask Philip to come and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Most powerful chapter in Isaiah is Isaiah 53. Talks about Jesus. And he tells him about Jesus. And he receives the truth. And he understands the gospel. He understands salvation. And he understands if this is true, then I need to die to myself and to this world. And he says, there is some water here. Can I be baptized? Wow! Wow! What is stopping me? Philip said nothing. Stop. Let's get baptized. Because when you hear the truth, it will demand that I die to this world. And I will not go against with this world anymore. I do not belong to this soul. Let me publicly die and rise up in Christ a new person. Because truth needs help to understand. Do we understand? Truth needs a man. Truth needs proclamation. Truth needs preaching. 
How can I understand? Unless somebody explain. Everybody who is searching for truth, I have known in my life, I have heard from other people, God has moved heaven and earth to reach a person who will explain the truth to them. He has. I have met people from the most remote villages in India where not a single evangelist went. They never heard about Christ. But when they were worshipping their idol, they cried. I met a girl when I was in my twenties from Karnataka. She cried before the idol by saying, I know you are not God. Because you don't speak. And I know God speaks. Lord, will you reveal? She said that week she heard from Christ. Kicked out of our home, kicked out of our village, now in ministry. You know why? Because anyone who searches for truth, God will reveal truth to him. Because he who searches for the truth is searching for God himself. If there is no hunger and thirst for us, it's not because God is not keen. It's not God is not willing to meet us. The question is, how thirsty are we? God needs men who will speak truth. Because without truth, there is no way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. But we don't realize, truth itself is the way. And if truth is fallen in your and my life, we are stuck. Stuck. And you know the end days last God's judgment when the world falls apart right for judgment. The last verse for today in Second Thessalonians. This is a devil given full flow today through the media, through everything here. Being controlled. He's been given control to deceive the people of the world. The only ones who will not be deceived are God's real children. Everybody will be deceived. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish because... Receive the love of truth. If I don't receive the love of truth, God says, you too will be deceived. Never stop searching for who I am. Because the, that they might be, for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth. But they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Understand that. Why the world will perish. Even many, many in the church itself will perish. Because he says broad is the way to hell. Many will go. Simply because they did not receive one thing. They did not receive the love of truth. So today see your love for Christ as a love of truth. So it is not what is truth. Question is, can I handle truth? Can you and I handle truth? Can we handle? Don't look scared. You cannot handle truth unless you handle grace. I cannot give you grace. I can only teach you truth. Grace comes from him. And it's with grace upon grace he came. Full of grace. Shall we stand? Father, this evening we just stand before thee, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray, Lord, every year that has heard, every year that will hear from the net over the weeks and the months around the world.
there will be a quickening in their inner man. That they will stand before you, we all naked. We may be covered, but only you can cover us. All our coverings will fall apart that day when we stand before you. So Father, give us the courage, the boldness to come before thee and say, Lord, show me who I am. As you see me, not as the world says, not even as my family says, as you see. Show me, Lord. Show me where truth has fallen in the street in my own life, Lord. Unless truth stands up, righteousness and justice will be far away. Till we turn back. Equity, equity, Lord. Fairness, Lord. will stand far off. Show us. Show us where this world and its lies have taken over our mind and our thinking and how we see things, how we perceive things, how we receive things. It can be only be received in your truth. Because it's your truth that sanctifies us. Help us, Lord. Because only the truth can set us free. Only the truth can bring liberty. And your children are called to walk in liberty. Free from fear. Free from lies. And everything in between. Be with us, Lord. Continue to speak to us. You brought us safely. We believe you will take us safely. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen.